Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, <laughs> Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This podcast is just one of the cool things we do. We also do a mentorship, so follow mm. us on Twitter and check out that out. That happens every month where we connect Act 2 writers with up-and-coming writers for an industry-slash-career focused mentorship um and also just you know subscribe write a comment if you'd rather dm us we get lots of questions and topic suggestions which we really appreciate you can say hi to us at act2writers at gmail.com all spelled out or on our instagram or twitter at act2writers and i am also on those instagram at story thursday and tasha 3.0 on twitter i am joshua hallman on twitter josh hallman on instagram you know i almost recorded video today in addition to audio and i was like i'm so glad you did it and i am people not can just, showered <laughs> people could just see what we look like we'll edit some clips together one day please yeah. warn me ahead of time <laughs> i i'm not going to now that you just said that <laughs> today's a big day tasha yeah first of all i haven't seen you in forever no it's been ages it's been like a long a time it's been one full <laughs> week since we've recorded that we have a topic we're talking about which yeah. i'm excited for and a couple big things to discuss. Yeah, we have some good this week's in writing, and we haven't had a solid topic in yeah. a while, so I am excited to get into that too. Should I jump into my this week in writing? I think we should. I have two. Okay, I just have one long one, so interrupt me because you know I like <laughs> to talk. In the year 2019. Oh, going back. All right. <laughs> going back. So I wrote Little this face. script. I, I, I had deviated from my standard scripts that I write, which were com like action comedies, thrillers, those kind of movies. And I, I flipped the script. I said, I'm going to write something completely different. I talked to my manager about it. He was, he was on board with it. He said, okay, let's go. So I ended up landing on this idea that kind of had some fantastical elements in it. In my brain, it was always supposed to be kind of like a disturbia with magic. That yeah. was where it was supposed to go. And so I started to write this script and it turned like really dark, really freaking dark. And I, 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 was, I was really breaking away from kind of like my voice, the way I wrote. I, I kind of was intentionally doing it, which was really weird. And I knew I was doing it in the moment, but I was like, I'm just going to change this up. Although it was a different genre, it was still like a different voice, which was weird. Yeah. And I knew that. But anyway, so I worked on this script all through 2019. Like I couldn't figure out how to crack this script. And then we started to work on it into 2020. And then the pandemic happened. So we kind of shelved things to see what happened, what, where we were going. I ended up sending it back to my manager sometime in 2020. Uh, we, we revised it a bit more and he was like, okay, great. I'm going to send this script out to producers. Like let's mm -hmm. get another producer on board and then we're going to try to sell the script. I'm like, all right, cool. So in 2020, we send out the script and a producer comes on. And this producer had actually left a company because of changes during the pandemic. So he was independent, but I Zoomed with him. I really liked him. And the reason I just gave you so much backstory was because that producer kind of came at me and was like, I think you should sort of change the tone of this. I think mm -hmm. it's a little too dark. And I was like, you're speaking to my soul, producer. The conversations we were having were kind of more in line with where I should have probably gone in the get-go. Yeah. And you mean like truer to your comedic self? Is yeah, tr you mean? truer. Like I was shifting it more into like an Amblin-y tone. 
Which you love Amblin movies, though. That's what I mean. Like, I was shifting it. Like, I, it should have been an Amblin tone in the beginning. So when we were oh, talking, he was kind of like, I, f- I could see this as like an Amblin type tone. And I was like, dude, mm. yes, that's where it was. Supp- it, like, there was, I think, threads of that in it, but it was just really, it was messy. And so he, when we started working together, he was like, I don't have many changes. There's just a few things I think we can change and like do a little tonal pass. But otherwise, I think the script is in really good shape. I was like, that's great. Best so news. I, best news ever, right? I'm like, I'm like, this is mm-hmm. awesome. Cool. This is 2020. I get my notes back from him. And there weren't many. There were like very small notes. So I, I revised the notes that he had sent. And we were on the same page. We're talking. And then he comes back again with more notes. And by the way, he was really bad at... Um, getting back to me on time like it would he mm-hmm. was like also working on another it was like months like we would not talk for like two months at a time like that would be Oof. like the gap yeah it was really it was really annoying in hindsight but I was kind of okay with it at the time because I was working on other things by the way like sure that was keeping me sane well Tasha we worked on it all the way through 2021 and into 2022 and there were still we could never land on the same page with this script and I was trying to stay like positive about everything and then just recently he wrote me an email and was like okay man I don't think I'm the right producer for this so I'm going to step off of the project and I wish you the best of luck uh, I appreciate the work that you've done but you know I, I, I can't do development things right now so I'm out and mm-hmm. he walked away from the script mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was I went through a range of emotions because of kind of like what we had gone through ultimately I think it was the right thing and I knew he wasn't like the right producer after so many changes that we were making yeah and I learned a lot of lessons from this and I had to tell the story one of them that he should have probably called you to say that rather than wrote an email yeah I get it I get it it's it's easier to write things you don't see the person it's much much easier. easier but when you break up with someone you don't break up with them through an email some some do the weak do the week. The week ones do. Lord, do we always just want to send a text or an email? Yeah, of course. And I get that. Them. But no, you can't. Yeah. Back in Wisconsin, you call people when you're breaking up with them. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my point is, and so I read, the, and I, what, the frustrating thing is I still love the script, even though yeah. everyone has told me there's been problems with it. And I'm like, not going to yeah. let this script go. You and shouldn't. I said, it's a great script. What started as like, I had a friend read it who uh, works in development in like a total other genre, but he's a very close friend of mine. I was like, can I get your thoughts on this? And he read it and it was like, so keep in mind, this was like magical disturbia. Like that's where it started, like dark magical disturbia. And he was like, this is like Stranger Things meets Harry Potter. And I was like, what the fuck? Like where did that that come from? That's where it ended up, Tasha. What's wrong with that? That sounds amazing. Yeah, no, it's fucking amazing. But my point is, is like, and I I bring this very long story up because I should have, I know I just criticized him for not calling me, but I probably should have jumped on things a little earlier and been like, hey man, something doesn't feel right here. Like I should have, I should have probably confronted him about things early on in the process because it, honest to God, I, I, I have receipts, Tasha. I have receipts of what our conversation was. That it was like, hey, this is no, this is great. We're in good shape. But it just evolved. And that is like a version of development hell. Yeah, for sure. It's tough. I mean, there's a point where it's like, 
A, you have other projects, so you're not completely focused on this. I feel like if this was mm -hmm. your sole thing, you probably would have stepped up sooner. 100%. just, like, get yeah. it done. So there's that, like, forgiveness for yourself there, which Thank is you. totally understandable. But the other piece is, it's, that's always, like, the carrot is this producer who has connections, who likes your stuff enough to just keep tweaking and tweaking until it's just, it's perfect to go out. And it's hard to see if what you're, the track that you're on is that like we're just tweaking to get to the thing or have we completely lost the forest for the trees like yeah is it's it, you sort of almost don't know you're in it that's place until you get there and it sucks it's hard i've definitely i've definitely been in these situations where i'm like we're, i'm done i this is the script that i want it to be it's the best i can do right now yeah with my life and i can't keep spending time on this like we have to take it out or you need to step off this project. Mm -hmm. But I've never, I've had that conversation with a very safe producer who I knew very well. And she was basically like, no, you're not done. Keep going. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. if you need to take a break, take a break. But we're almost there. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And we did end up selling it. But like, that feels like a rare scenario. More often you get caught in this development hell. And I think it is. It's like, did you feel like you were starting to get notes that was taking you off the path of the script you wanted to write? Or were you getting closer to the script you wanted to write? To be honest, I, th I felt like I was getting closer. Had okay. had his communication been better and had we just been talking on like a weekly basis, like normal producers that I've worked with in the past, sure, I, I would have knocked this thing out. Like this would have been done. It was like the, the, the reason it took so long was because honestly, there were gaps of time, like months in between. But I, it's weird because I, I think I'm like the only one who likes the script. Even like I've talked and, to- And me. Okay, and you. But like I, everyone everyone around me is like, dude, just just let it go. Just, just you're working on other things. Just work on the other things. But Tasha, you know how stubborn I am. I keep telling you, let's, let's meet grind this sucker. I'm here for you. <laughs> I'm telling you this right now. Uh, and the podcast. Just remember this story because my- Fucking stubbornness is not going to let this die, and it will not. I will bring this back up. It will be a Netflix movie or in theaters. I don't care if it's a YouTube original at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that even exists anymore. But uh, but no, yeah. So I sent it to uh, John, my manager, to kind of figure out where we go from here. I don't yeah. even know where to go from here. Please keep us posted. I'm going to. But that's a very long story of development hell and. It's never happened to me. This has never happened to me before, but it happened. Well, it's going to be great. It's going to be really great retribution when he's vying for a Josh Hallman script and you're like, no, thank you, sir. Yeah. Not that we write out of spite. Oh, my God. Don't advocate I, for that. I fucking advocate for that all day. <laughs> if you don't have that motivation, I don't know. Like, you know, you know when therapists are like, you should be coming from a place of happiness. I yeah. always get I'm like, fuck off. Forgiveness, Josh Hallman. Forgiveness. If I want to be happy, I'll just go sit at I'll just sit at the beach if I want to be happy and not have any problems. The thing that motivates you is your trauma and your problems. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's let's uh <laughs> anyway. Moving on. <laughs> Maybe I should have gone first. Okay. My bad. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay. How to find a writer's group. <laughs> I don't feel like we 
we can move on. This is going to be an awkward transition. <laughs> but we got a question uh, from a listener about how to find a writer's group. And um, we talked about this a long time ago, and I have no idea where it is at this point. So we're just going to talk about it again. Yeah. Where do you think are the best places for people to find a writer's group who don't have one and may or may not be in Los Angeles? I have no idea. I really have no idea. <laughs> um, I would... This is so tough. I, th I think it would probably come from just asking friends. Yeah. But if you don't have any other writer friends, I almost wonder if you can do it through Twitter or if you can do it yeah. somehow through social media. Yeah, I was going to suggest Twitter, social media as well. Um, there was a thing that I did, and the pandemic has made this more difficult, but hopefully some places are coming out of it now, um, where I would find local cafes that mm. actually some of them would have there's one in in Burbank for instance that would do a writers not a writers group where we're like bringing in our scripts and sharing them but you would come in and you would all like write around a certain topic together and then like share what you wrote that day which was just a good entry point to then being like hey do you want to start a writers group so like finding places where writers congregate I think is kind of the point there there used to be and we should just start this ourselves, by the way. But yeah. the, the way that Josh and I met was because there was a writer's... Uh, these assistants were very uh, entrepreneurial and started their own kind of writer's group collective where you would pay $25 per quarter, I believe. And you they would uh, give you a questionnaire. You'd fill it out, like, what genres do you like? And... Where do you live? And, you know, because in Los Angeles, commuting is important. Yeah. And then based on your answers, they would pair you with people they thought would fit. And it would be like four or five people or maybe six in a group. And you just pay 25 bucks. You'd meet with this group that they paired you with. And at the end, the kind of carrot, which made you want to pay 25 bucks, was that because they were assistants at a production company, they then guaranteed you if you finished a script during that quarter, during your writer's group, they would read that script and potentially send it to their boss. Yeah. And that's how Josh and I met. And then we, we went rogue and kind of broke out and did our own thing. And in Act 2, the Act 2 writers, we do have writers groups within Act 2 that we kind of set up. But we can, yeah, look at starting yeah. to do that for others as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's mostly what Josh said. It's like finding other writers in your life and asking them if they have writer friends and just really starting there. Yeah. I, I know I said I have no idea, but if I... I, I know how fortunate we are. I say this all the time is because we, 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 we hit a core group of people and we're, we're very fortunate to have a writer's group because I've talked to people who are looking for one. But I, I would definitely say it, what it seems like is people talking on social media. And we had Ben and Jake on when they talked about the princess. They were introduced, I think, on Facebook, right? They were, That's they right. Were now, they're now a writing team. But I feel like the more you kind of put yourself out there as a writer, which is hard to do, the more you meet people and the more you get into a supportive community. I've seen on social media other writers offering to read other writers' scripts. So that would be my advice is to go that There's route. There's also, if you listen to our David H. Steinberg episode, he talks about a writer's meetup that he does oh, in yeah. Santa Monica. And he also sometimes will do it on the east side, so more kind of eastern los angeles if you're in los angeles highly recommend going to that it's populated with a ton of writers all of whom probably need a writer's group or have a writer's group um, another thing that i would recommend and i've heard lots of people do this actually um, 
an executive I'm working with now who's a writer said that his first writers group came because he went to the Austin Film Festival and one of his scripts got into the Austin Film Festival. And when he was there, because it's such a, as Josh has said, a writer heavy festival, he mm -hmm. started mingling with a bunch of other writers and just started asking like, hey, do you want to start a writers group? And that's another way to do it. So these festivals, just going to them, even if you maybe have not submitted to them, I know that that can be cost prohibitive yeah um, but any that you might have in your own area would highly recommend that as well i think you just need to put yourself out there is the big takeaway yeah twitter is a good place to start and then so once you have a writer's group what is the best writer's group format is another question yeah so when we started people were submitting their features like everyone had a feature and it was really difficult to read everybody's features maybe not so much at that time it was a different times so we had a little little more time on our hands or something like that but less um, children and spouses you less mean? <laughs> less children no spouses the whole thing the format i would suggest is meeting every two weeks and having a certain amount like let's say if your group is six people um having three submissions every two weeks that's what i would that's maybe two yeah. submissions depending on if it's a feature or if it's a treatment or whatever if it's a 50 page uh submission that's probably what I would suggest. I know a group run that by Sabeti, they used to just meet every three weeks and it would be one script. That's it. And everyone would just come in for that one script. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that. I personally don't like that because I feel like the reason our group works so well is because it encourages us to continually generate material for yeah. us to meet with. And one script per week or per month, when you have four people, that means that fourth person is gonna take four months for anyone to see the script and then you're just waiting around or whatever so i personally don't like that format i agree with the two-week format because every week feels like an obligation yeah and you don't ever want writers group to feel like Ugh, i have to go to writers group you want to be excited to go to writers group because it's the death knell when people start feeling like it's homework and then for our writers group while we typically get two three max submissions from our group and we have like five people in our group, we leave it open for anyone to submit. So technically all five people could submit a feature length screenplay and that's technically okay. And we need to get through that amount of reading by the time we meet. Um, but there's some like respect that comes with that. Like if I'm going yeah. to submit a full pay, full length screenplay, I'm going to try and give them a lot more time to read the script. And so typically our submission date is the Sunday before we meet and we meet on a Wednesday. But if I'm submitting a full script, you might want to think about giving it to them a little bit earlier than that Sunday, for example. Um, and then in terms of sort of, sort of how the notes work, because that Sabeti group that Josh is talking about, they would, and I remember hating this, it was a pretty big group. I feel like it was like nine people or yeah. 10 people. And we'd all sit around a table and we'd just go one by one and one person would give all of their notes. Then the next person would give all their notes. And by the time you got to the end, like that person who is the last to give notes probably had all their notes given and there's yeah. nothing to add. So you don't, you feel like you can't participate. And also what I don't like is that sometimes Josh might have a note where like, oh, I don't really like this uh, dinner scene that you have, like something felt wrong about the tone. It might be his note. And then someone else might be like, I also had that issue. And it's so helpful to hear like, oh, someone else had that issue. And maybe they can build upon yeah. that and say, I had that issue. And the reason why I had that issue is because this, and maybe Josh didn't have that, like why he didn't like it. And so now like, because they've sort of, um, ex uh, 
further kind of explained what the note was, now we're engaged and we're having a brainstorm session about this note, which is far more helpful than just sitting there and just taking people's notes, which is also really depressing as a writer. Mm. So hard. (laughs) It's so hard. But another thing that we do is it's very kind of casual and informal now because we know each other so well. But the basic idea is the writer who brings the work in doesn't talk during it. I mean, yes, you can engage and be like, oh, well, why didn't you like that scene? Okay, great. But it's never to defend that dinner scene. It's yeah. never to explain or justify why you did it. It's just, you might ask clarifying questions, but that's it. It is not a place for you to argue why you did something. Just hear the notes and allow yourself to sit with them and that's it. So that's yeah. really important because then it creates just a really nice trusting group rather than totally. something that's a bit more aggro. I, I agree with that completely. I think it's okay to do follow-up questions, questions mm-hmm. if you're not clear about something. But I, the one thing I, we've talked about this a million times is like, you just don't want to get defensive when you're getting the note because yeah. then you're entering a spiral of, well, I did this because of this. I did this. And then it's like this tit for tat that um, yeah. nobody And then people don't want to give notes to that person anymore because 100%, they're yeah. scared that they're going to now be in an argument. And it's just, yeah. it doesn't create a great vibe. You can also, and we've done this before too, is come into the writer's group and just be like, I very specifically just want notes on if my dinner scenes are working, <laughs> right? Or like, yeah. or when my two romantic leads are in the same scene, are those working? You can ask for specifics and that's not argumentative or anything. It's just what you particularly need in that moment. Yeah. Um, so that's another way you can do it. And then as far as materials to submit, which was another question, uh, as Joss mentioned, we go anywhere from full length screenplay to just a list of log lines or, hey, I didn't write my log lines down. Can I pitch you an idea? Pretty much anything writing related. We've also had people submit their prose, like their book samples, chapters from a book, comic books, like anything someone is writing is, is yeah. fair game or anything someone is thinking about is fair game. You know what I, I feel like I would suggest is before you even have a writer's group, if if you get together and you don't know the people yet and you meet through social media, I would suggest doing a Zoom meetup where you just all talk to each other. There's no scripts involved or a real life in-person thing if, if, if uh, you can do it. The reason I say that is because you can kind of get a feel for, for people over a Zoom and you can f- understand if you like want to be yeah. with these people getting notes and just have like... You know, you just have like a meet and greet essentially before you start a writer's group. Yeah, for sure. One last thing on this, because this is a huge reason why groups break up, is there an ability to get regular meetings on the board? People are always canceling at the last minute and suddenly you haven't met for four months, which kills everything. So our way of avoiding that problem is we know every two weeks in the calendar all of us have 7 p.m writers group it's in our calendar we know not to schedule anything on that day if yeah family happens to be coming in that week just let everyone know ahead of time they can meet without you that's fine but now you know in two weeks you have another writers group so if you're always like hey what's your availability this week for writers group that's never going to work always have it's the same day every However many weeks you're meeting, be there or be square. Yeah. Do people say that? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's still 1988. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, uh, I, what's funny about you saying this is I've currently put you in writer's group timeout. Yeah. So you're not allowed to come back for a couple weeks. You're out. I don't like it. You're in jail right now. <laughs>
you're in writer's group purgatory. I appreciate it. I really do. But I also like, I look at that, that calendar invite of 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. I'm like, oh, I bet they're having so much fun. Oh, yeah. We're sipping rosé. Sabetti's <laughs> telling stories. We're, we're having a great time. And then everyone asks yeah. about you. And I'm, I'm like, nope, Tasha's, she's in timeout right now. Should we move into the big topic? I guess so. Let's do it. Let's do it. Meet cutes. Meet cutes. So basically what we're doing is we both pick two, t- uh, two meet cutes. Mm-hmm. And wait, what is a meet cute, Tasha? Let's, let's rewind. Let's rewind. Can you tell us what a meet cute is? Well, I have actually been asking myself this question as well. Because I oh. feel like the term meet cute suggests it's in a rom-com and like the two people meet and they like kind of instantly fall in love with each other. But as we were kind of going through our favorite rom-coms, many of them actually, their meet cute is them hating each other. And mm-hmm. it takes the course of the movie, and that's the, the fun of the rom-com, is them coming together after hating each other. So I think a meet-cute can be either. I think it's the meeting of the two love interests, whether it's uh, I love you instantly or I hate you instantly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's when you're, yeah, your two love interests are connected with each other for the first time. And it's memorable. I think that's why it's a meet-cute, why there's yeah. a phrase for it, because it's a memorable meeting, and that's like the thing that sets your movie in motion. Boom. And you and I each picked two movies that have meet cutes. Yeah. And we're going to just talk about them. Yeah. And I think we decided to talk about this because at the time, you were like neck deep in trying to figure out your own meet cute for a script. Yes. Right? And then yes. we're just like, yeah, what are our favorite meet cutes? And also because meet cutes are such a specific device in writing and it's not often done well. So we thought yeah. we'd break down kind of what our favorite ones are or some of our favorites that work really well and talk about why they work really well. Yeah. And what I find really hard for meet cutes, for me at least, because my I'm typically writing a meet cute where they like, where the two uh, parties like each other. Mm-hmm. And I always, it, for me, it's always very difficult because there's like that bullshit, like, hi, I'm Josh. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, nice to meet you. Oh, you're eating Twizzlers? Oh, I like red vines. Like that, that like <laughs> little weird kind of like banter back and forth is always, it just seems so generic. And so I sure. always feel like meet cutes kind of have to be a moment where there's like some kind of external thing happening. Yeah. It's not literally like I'm meeting someone at a bar. It's like no. something is happening and the characters happen to meet while this thing is happening. Yeah, it, you're at a bar, but the bar's like, uh, there's a meteor coming to it. Like that, that's what I feel like <laughs> has to happen. Um, yeah. So let's talk about so what uh, are meet cutes. Should I go first? Do yes, go please. First? No, I, okay. you know, I like when you go first so then oh, I can right. amp up my <laughs> okay. delivery. All right. My first one is one of my favorite romantic comedies slash movies in the entire world pride and prejudice the 1995 bbc version obviously oh my Um, god and (laughs) (laughs) this is where i kind of struggle with calling this one a meet cute because the first time elizabeth bennett and mr darcy meet it is not particularly cute they don't get along and actually they end up having several meet cutes throughout the movie that get more and more kind of cute as they go and that's what makes the movie works so well and I think it's why people have tried to replicate it ever since because this meet cute in Pride and Prejudice makes you kind of constantly on edge of whether these two people are going to get together and the anxiety and the longing in that story for these two to just kind of get over themselves and become the best couple of all time is like really really high yeah so this meet cute 
starts at a dance and Mm. the setup is the super nice rich guy mr bingley has bought a house in the country and he's bought here his he's brought his bff mr darcy with him as he's moving in and he's getting familiar with the neighborhood These are the most pride and prejudice names I've ever heard. Mr. (laughs) Bingley and Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. That's so good. And one night, one night, Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy go to their first like country neighborhood dance. And the whole neighborhood is there. Who's who of this small country town. And among the who's who is Elizabeth Bennett, the second eldest daughter in a family of five daughters. And her and her sisters are considered like the hottest girls in town. So of course... Mr. Bingley immediately gravitates towards them. He asks the oldest and prettiest daughter, Jane, to dance with him. And standing behind the very bubbly and very sweet Mr. Bingley is Mr. Darcy, his BFF. And he has absolutely no interest in any of these pretty girls. In fact, the blocking of the scene is actually really amazing where Mr. Bingley is facing the camera. He's facing Elizabeth and Jane as he's introducing himself and asking Jane to dance. And then over his shoulder in frame is Mr. Darcy, who's kind of like half turned away from the girls. He's definitely not looking at them, but at the same time, his back isn't turned to them either. So it's not like I'm not looking at them because I'm distracted by something else or engaged by something else. It's this very deliberate choice to like not look at someone you're being introduced to. It's Uh very, very rude. (laughs) Um, and it's kind of this sense, like he gives sort of zero shits about like the politeness of what he's doing. And then when Elizabeth's mom is like, Hey, Mr. Darcy, if your buddy Bingley wants to dance with Jane, I have this other girl, Elizabeth, would you care to dance with her? And Mr. Darcy just says, thank you. I rarely dance. And he bows very curtly because that's what you're supposed to do in that situation. And then he just walks off without another word. And it becomes this kind of why I never kind of moment because Darcy is so acting against what social custom is. But because he's going against social custom, I think there's something very interesting about him automatically because he's literally not like anyone else in the room who is so overly polite. And I think it works because he's not insultingly rude. He's Mm. intriguingly rude, which I was like having to like figure out what is this difference because you shouldn't want to like someone who is rude. So why do I like Mr. Darcy? And I think it's because he doesn't come in and he's not like belittling people or like openly acting like an asshole. He knows that in this situation at a party, I have to be a human. I have to be polite. But Mm. he also just clearly doesn't want to be here. He's not comfortable here. And that makes him more intriguing than just rude because i think if he was just an asshole that's not someone i want to know but being polite understanding social cues and choosing kind of not to follow them that starts to present a question to me like why doesn't he want to be in this place so i thought that was like a key part and also something i noticed is that it what also works in darcy's favor in terms of you liking him is that elizabeth bennett's mother is incredibly annoying in this scene so A, you don't want her to get what she wants because she's so terrible. So when Darcy says he's not going to dance with one of her daughters and she gets offended, you're kind of like, well, like you're overreacting. It's not that bad. And I understand why he wouldn't want to be associated with anyone in your vicinity. So now I like kind of have empathy with Darcy a little bit because you're like, yeah, I don't want to be around her either. And then the second piece of kind of the mom puzzle is that when she replies to Darcy's behavior, like why I never like, that's so rude. Well, 
until now in the movie, Elizabeth's mother has not been a reliable character. Everything out of her mouth is super overdramatic. It's not the correct, correct reaction. And she always misunderstands every situation. So when she's thinking this Darcy guy is so rude, because I always automatically disagree with Elizabeth's mother, I'm now disagreeing with her here. Like, maybe he's not rude. <laughs> maybe there's more going on. Yeah, relatable, so, by the way. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then, I'm sorry I'm going on so long, but there's, like, two parts to this. So, like, the second part to the meet-cute is that's happened. And then Darcy insults Elizabeth, and she overhears it. And the setup of that is oh. that, yeah, the setup is, like, Bingley has been dancing all night with Jane, Elizabeth's sister, he takes a break, sees Darcy just standing off to the side and is like, dude, stop. You're being ridiculous and you look ridiculous. There's some seriously hot chicks up in here. You're super cool. You look dumb standing off by yourself. And Darcy's like, dude, none of these chicks are pretty except your dance partner, Jane. And it would be more embarrassing if I actually danced in this shithole. And Beanley's like, well, look over there. Like, look, like there's Jane's sister, Elizabeth. She's really pretty too. And Darcy says... She's tolerable, I suppose. Oh, but, I like that. <laughs> but she is not handsome enough to tempt me. I am in no humor to give consequence to ladies who are slighted by other men. And he basically says, like, fuck off, Bingley. Leave me to pout by myself. <laughs> I but love after this. The... <laughs> so good, I love Josh. This guy. <laughs> I gotta watch this movie. <laughs> like, I relate to Darcy in this moment. Yeah, he's no, the he's hero terrible. of this story, right? <laughs> terrible. <laughs> So after this conversation, Elizabeth gets up and she walks past Darcy to cross the room. And as she does, she like smirks at him. And it's clear that she has heard what he said. And this kind of shocks him because Elizabeth's reaction is not typical. She's not offended. She's not angry. She's not insecure. She's not even upset. She thinks it's funny. And he oh. watches her cross the room and start telling her friend about what happened. And her friend starts laughing. And now they're laughing at him. She flips it. She flips it. So nice. suddenly now, like, Elizabeth has caught his attention because she has acted unlike any other woman might have acted in this moment. And that's intriguing to him. It shows a kind of confidence. So to me, those were the lessons of the Pride and Prejudice style meet-cute, where they kind of each hate each other. Is He's not rude. He's intriguing. It makes you ask a question about his behavior. And then this kind of empathy idea where... You add someone to the scene who you vehemently disagree with mm -hmm. and then have them dislike the Darcy character and then make your kind of Elizabeth Bennet equivalent react in this unexpected way that shows an attractive quality to them. In this case, it was like confidence, basically. And there you have it. That's the meet cute. That is awesome. There seems like a lot of different dynamics going on that. That's beautiful, actually. That sounds it's, like an amazing it's meet cute. the best movie. Yeah. I want to go watch it so hard right now. Yeah. It, it, honest to God, it makes me want to watch it. <laughs> what you Are just you ready explained. to commit like six hours to a Regency era romantic? Oh, jeez. I'll just watch the meet cute. <laughs> um, but that was awesome. I feel like a lot of good lessons. And I think I'm about to throw like the exact opposite meet cute at you. Oh, I'm so glad. But do we need to talk any more about this? Am I just moving no, on too I'm quickly? No, I'm done. That's it. Go. Okay. No surprise here, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes. Here's what's really interesting about... Well, let me, let me just set the scene here. When we first meet them, you know, they're in therapy. They're not great. And then we cut to Columbia five years ago, like four or five years ago. 
and we're going through this worn torn area. There's bombs going off. There's chaos. And then we cut into Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's sitting at a bar and he's like, he's hearing shots outside. He says to the bartender, they're like, what's going on? So someone killed the Barracuda. Brad Pitt's like, okay, who the fuck's the Barracuda? And he's, he's kind of playing it off. And they're like, the bartender says they're looking for uh, tourists who are alone. And Brad Pitt's obviously alone. And then the police burst inside and they've got their guns raised. And then we see that Brad Pitt has a gun and he's kind of ready to, he's ready to start some shit. So we know that Brad Pitt is up to something like he's, he's someone. And then all of a sudden Angelina Jolie comes in. She's being tailed by the police. The police are screaming at her like, Hey, miss, miss, miss. And she's ignoring them. But then Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie lock eyes and they, they see each other for the first time. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's an attraction. There's a 1999 Pitt Jolie attraction that I you mean, just can't deny. Cannot deny it. It's undeniable. In the moment, we see that Angelina Jolie has a little knife underneath her, her dress. So we know she's up to something. And as the police are closing in on both Pitt and Jolie, Brett Pitt's like, wait, 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 wait. She's with me. And then Jolie's like, yeah, I'm with him. And then they embrace each other. And then for some reason, the police just say, okay, you can go because... You're not traveling alone. And then <laughs> after that, they go up into a hotel room and they're both listening and they hear all the footsteps outside and it's still some chaos going on and they introduce themselves to each other. I'm John. I'm Jane. Nice to meet you. And then from there, they have their night together. It's sensual. It's amazing. They're dancing in the rain. Then they end up drinking sleeping together. Bottle. They're drinking from one bottle. That. No, no, so no. I hot. Yeah, it's amazing. Then they wake up together, and uh, John doesn't leave her. Like, she wakes up. There's a hint that he might be gone, but he comes back with coffee. And they're together. Classic. And this, and, and in this moment, although they had lied to each other, it's kind of like the one time they were both kind of real with each other. Like, that's, that's kind of mm. how they met. They met in this real moment. And this is so much different because I feel like this is somewhat of a, if I had to classify meet-cutes, this is like the physical attraction meet-cute. Like yeah. these two people who are attracted, but they also need each other in this moment. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? You can say multiple things. I'm not sure if this meet cute works. Oh, okay. Yeah. Curveball. I, I just, no, it's a very big curveball because when first I reference Mr. and Mrs. Smith all the time. Like, I think I only know how to write movies that are Mr. and Mrs. Smith meets something. Yeah. And it's interesting because watching it, it seems a little easy. It's like these couple, this, these two wouldn't investigate each other more. They're both not wondering why they're alone in this country. Like, are they not great agents? And, and it just, it kind of make, I kind of bumped on it now, rewatching mm -hmm. it and really analyzing it. And I actually have bumped on it before, but I still love it. And I think the concept of Mr. and Mrs. Smith is so strong. What do you bump on? Well, it's like the two most attractive people of all time yeah. in that moment just happen to be alone when the Barracuda dies. And now they're both listening against the door to be like, are we safe? Neither would be like, why are you listening? Like, yeah. you seem pretty calm. Everyone else is freaking out. Maybe it was just, you know, I never have questioned this scene ever. Okay. Even now. Well, maybe it's just me. You think I'm crazy. I don't think you're crazy because you're not wrong about those moments. And of course, it's very convenient that, oh, they're only looking for single people and now that you're together in an obvious lie <laughs> in that moment, like you have no perception skills whatsoever that this is a lie. Um, that all like makes sense, but it's so quick and it's like so like sexually charged and there's so much yeah. energy to the action. 
that, and it's like the opening scene, really. It's like, I mean, after yeah. the sort of cold open of them being in the therapist's office. So I'm just like in it. I'm like, whoa. And I think, and this is terrible to say, but I think just like the sexual energy between these two people brings you through the scene. And that's not something to overlook even when you're writing something. No, I agree. I, I And that's why this was like so fascinating to me because it's like these two people who can't keep their hands off of each other. And it's almost the tension is built up through their sexual yeah. energy, which is just wild because I don't even know how you write that when, I mean, I do know how you write that because I think I've written that before, but I think, I feel it, like you do it because if you just, if you're saying this scene comes after we open with the therapist scene and they cannot be more distant. Like I think yeah. their chairs are even like really far away in that scene. They're just so kind of uptight. So you know that your next scene when you're introducing them back in time in their origin story has to be the literal exact opposite of that moment. So you just amplify the sexiness as much as possible in every possible way because you want to say like, look how they were together. How did we possibly get here? So I feel like they just probably wrote the as opposite as they could from the open, the cold open. That's true. Yeah. No, so that's that's the sexually charged meet cute. And it's so fast. No questions. No, no. like, who are you? Well, I guess they said their, their names, but it's not. Yeah, they weren't like, why are you in Colombia? Why are they chasing you? There's no questions asked. No. But here's the thing. Don't you kind of assume that that question was probably asked maybe over dinner before they started drinking and dancing? And because they're spies, they just lied about it. So you just can skip that part. That's the interesting part about it is because then later they're both talking to their friends and they're filling in the gaps of essentially the meet cute. Like so oh. Brad Pitt's talking to um, John Favreau or no, Vince Vaughn, excuse me. He's talking to him and he's like, she's great. She works at this tech company or whatever. And then Angelina Jolie's like rock climbing with Alicia, girl who used to host Talk Soup. And she's like, yeah, he's... He's awesome. He's in finance. And um, I think I might have got that wrong about the talk soup host, by the way. But anyway, yeah, so they're, they're, they're filling in the gaps. They're doing yeah. it right there. So anyway, that's, that's my Mr. and Mrs. Smith meet cute. I love that one. All right. My next one is Notting Hill. Mm -hmm. And I really love this movie. I've seen it multiple times. I own the DVD. This one's also a two-parter which in itself is really interesting, but it does something completely different than Pride and Prejudice. So the setup is Hugh Grant owns a travel bookstore, and out of nowhere, the most famous actress in the entire world, Julia Roberts, walks in shopping for travel books. And he asks if she needs any assistance. She's very polite and says, no, thank you, I'm good. And then he just proceeds to be Hugh Grant, the way that Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt proceed to just be sexy humans. Yeah. Meaning Hugh Grant is funny. He's kind of a bit bumbling. And his humor becomes really endearing, kind of the jokes he tells. And for example, Julie Roberts is looking at a book on Turkey. And he's like, you know, that's actually not a great book. If you want a good book on Turkey, this one's better. I would recommend this. This, this author has actually been to Turkey and there's quite an amazing story about a kebab in this book. And Julia's not annoyed, but she doesn't really find him particularly funny either. She just politely smiles and she really behaves like any of us would behave if we were in a store and the worker won't leave us alone. <laughs> like you're yeah. kind of, you're kind of nice and funny, fine, but like not right now, please. But then Hugh Grant spots in his CCTV camera a guy stealing a book in the back of the store. So he excuses himself and he goes and confronts the guy. And again, is somewhat humorous, but also kind of gently confronts him. He's not 
rough with the book thief. He's calm. He's respectful. He's like, please remove the book from your trousers, wipe it off and put it back in the shelf. (laughs) And Julia Roberts observes this. And when the book thief comes back out, he asks for Julia Roberts autograph. And she writes something like, stop putting books in your trousers. And I think this does two things. And the first is that it shows you that she was paying attention and is kind of on Hugh Grant's side in this moment. And second, it shows you what other people would do when they meet Julia Roberts. They ask for her autograph. Mm. And I think this is actually a really common point across the whole movie that everyone always freaks the fuck out when they meet Julia Roberts. But Hugh Grant is always just kind of himself. Yep. Um, Which is great. That helps Hugh Grant seem normal. And I think that's emphasized by this meet-cute scene where they are directly juxtaposing him with someone else. And it's a conflict, which I thought was also interesting because he has to deal with it now. And now you get to see his chivalrous nature as he's interacting with this book thief. And now you get to compare how he interacts with Julia Roberts with how this kind of normal person might interact with her. And then the second part of the meet cute is after Julia Roberts has bought her book on Turkey and he's, she's left, Hugh Grant feels like he's just interacted with an angel, but that's like, that'll never happen again. Back to real life. He goes around the corner, grabs an orange juice. And as he's walking back to his shop, he literally runs into Julia Roberts, splashes orange juice all over her white shirt. And he like, kind of tries to wipe it off. And she's like, dude, do not touch my boobs. Yeah. <laughs> and like, she's starting to freak out because now she's this famous person caught in a very public area with this giant orange spot on her chest. But as luck would have it, Hugh Grant's house is just down the street where she can get washed up. Oh. And he makes this kind of funny joke about it. Like, oh, we'll have you on the street in no time in this non-prostitute sense, of course. And (laughs) I know it's funny and she laughs. And after seeing him in the shop, right, he's just this normal, nice guy who's like nice to the book thief. She trusts him enough to go back to this house to clean up. And now we're in it. Their lives are now more than just ships passing in a bookshop. We're kind of chugging along in our rom-com. So to me, the lessons from Notting Hill were going to put your hero in conflict in the meet cute so that they have to react to the conflict to show off how awesome they are. And also in the meet cute scene, juxtapose your hero at some point with someone else who is not as funny, not as charming, not as awesome as they are to just emphasize how awesome they are. Um, And Hugh Grant's humor, I think, is also really key because it's so endearing. Um, So not... The note is not like write a Hugh Grant character, but just, you know, I mean, be aware of uh, kind of what personality is coming through because it should be really strong one way or the other. Because by the way, like not every person thinks Hugh Grant is the most charming, awesome hero in the world. But when you pair him with a fucking book thief who's like really gross and then asking for an autograph, like you're going to choose Hugh Grant in that scene. (laughs) You're going to be on his side. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like that definitely, like you were just saying, it's like because Hugh Grant doesn't ask for her autograph that's it was it the scene wouldn't work yeah if if he was like hi i know who you are could i please have your autograph yeah because now you think yeah you now you think he's doing everything because of who she is yeah and that's common between the two by the way the person acts different than everyone else in the room Mm. classic hugh grant i love it love it love it just one last thing about that is conflict. So important. Like we were talking kind of earlier, right before we started this, like what you like the conflict and meet cutes are probably the most important thing. Yeah. 
throw in I, some curveballs. I never like think of that as the thing to do in a meet cute. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's interesting. It creates such a a great scenario for them to meet in an active way. Totally. It allows you to see how each act. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, that's what it is. It shows their character and their personality immediately. Okay, my last one, Tasha. Yeah. The classic, The Wedding Planner. Yeah, yeah. With with J Lo and Matthew McConaughey. Naturally. So, this is more this <laughs> naturally. This is more of the traditional, like, like in the sense. I feel like if someone were to say, "Give me the most prototypical meet cute you could possibly think of," this is it. Yeah, I love this movie. Essentially, what happens is. J-Lo, who is a wedding planner, she is running across the street and she had just learned the news that she's going to have, uh, she's going to be doing someone's wedding. Like she's planning this, this one wedding of this one couple and she's running across the street. She comes to a sewer top and her high heel gets stuck in. And all of a sudden she's like, uh-oh. And she's now stuck <laughs> and down the street, a trash can, one of those huge industrial uh, trash bins, starts rolling down the hill directly at her. As it turns out, Matthew McConaughey is getting out of his car at the exact same time <laughs> this is happening. And he looks over, and J-Lo is still stuck in her high heels. And, he's, and she's, she's looking at this thing, and she's nervous, and it's coming after her, and it's getting faster and faster. And right before it's about to smash her and kill her, probably, Matthew McConaughey... <laughs> swoops in and saves J-Lo's life. And she hits the cement, bumps her head, and now Matthew McConaughey is on top of her. And she is dizzy. And she's looking up at him. And and, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I don't know why I just did that. I don't, you couldn't help it. <laughs> I couldn't help it. And he's like, hey, talk to me, talk to me. And so... They start having this flirtatious conversation in this moment, and and he's like, "How you know? How you feeling? Can you? Is your head okay? Are you feeling okay? This and this mm-hmm. and this." And then, as he's helping her up, she's like, "You saved my shoe." And so then we get a little humor from J Lo, and he's like, "Okay, I saved your shoe." He helps her up, and clearly there's attraction between the two. This is another case of two very beautiful people falling for each other in this moment, and. It's and very... she's all like, she's all like weak, so she's like in his arms, and yeah. he's like holding this would be her the... really tight. One hundred percent. This is the damsel in distress, meet cute. Yeah, like that's. 100%. This is that version of it, and he ends up uh, getting her to her feet, but she passes out, and he's like, okay, and he picks her up, <laughs> and then it cuts to black, and she wakes up in a hospital, and uh, we learn that he's a pediatrician, and there's kids all around her, and. She wakes up around all of these kids. And now just by seeing these kids, you're like, oh, yeah, Matthew that's McConaughey. Yeah. And he walks in. He's, he's nice with all of the kids. He's like this doctor that everyone loves. And that, then they talk again. And he's like, I had to go through your purse to figure out who you are. Um, you're okay. And then we get to see how capable Matthew McConaughey is. And we get to see how, you know, funny J-Lo is in the moment. And they hit it off. And they both mm-hmm. kind of have this flirtatious moment with each other. So that's their meet cute. But again, this is like like I was saying, the damsel in distress. The guy saves the girl, or vice versa. The girl can save the guy. And you get a sense of their kind of how cute they can be in yeah. these moments. And they're both kind of falling for each other because they're attracted to each other. Yeah. So good. That yeah. line, I remember, I think I saw that movie in college maybe. And me and my friends 
thought it was the stupidest line ever. And so we'd always just make fun of it at random times. We'd just be like, oh, you what? saved my shoe. You saved my shoe. Saved oh, yeah, of shoe. course. We went through an era during the 90s there where it was like, like the Matthew McConaughey, like 10 things I hate about you. Not 10 things mm-hmm. I hate, excuse me. How to lose a guy in 10 days. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, like the wedding planner and these moments where it really was like the the most standard guy comes in and saves the woman yeah. type, type meet cute. But if yeah. there is a takeaway from this and if you can flip it where the, you know, the, 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 one sex doesn't have to save the other, but I'm just saying that it, it creates good tension. And there's, again, there's conflict. There's this, thing that's about to smash her do you think the damsel in distress works now no <laughs> no 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 unless it could. it's yeah, I, find I was it gonna very sex- i find it sexy i find it like sweet if you could do it so that no you know no gender is made stupid in it like yeah just step out of your shoe and you're good <laughs> like, yeah, like, that's <laughs> that's the thing is She's, she, yeah, just step out of her shoe. Although, although it, I, I just, to be honest with you, I didn't watch, rewatch the entire movie. I watched mm-hmm. just the meat cute portion. I do think there was something where she was shopping for the shoe and the shoe was like very expensive. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, didn't I think so. Leave. But you still step out of it, let the thing go and then just pick yeah. it up. Right? I, I get it. Yeah. Cause it would have just rolled right over the shoe. But, uh, but yes, I, I do think it can be done now. I probably wouldn't do it because I would submit it to you and be like, Josh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why doesn't she just save herself, Josh? <laughs> Why doesn't she just save herself? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I think if you are just clever with, if Matthew McConaughey like saves her, she has to be a little bit more capable after that. Yeah. Like maybe he then bumps his head and then he, he wakes up inside of a hospital and <laughs> yeah. she's the one who like saves him. Like there's something to that nature where she, it gets flipped. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It getting flipped. Cause we all have weak moments. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's like what defines the character, that's, that's not great. I don't know if it's because I've seen too many movies, but in my past I have been in scenarios, you know, where you're like, you're like at a bar and it was like, you bump into the person next to you and you like order the same drink and you're yeah. like, is this it? Is this fate? Yeah. And then like you watch her go back to her boyfriend. You're like, never mind. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> I guess it was just the meat cute in my head. Never yeah. happened. Never to, never to be seen again. Yeah. Moments yeah. like that. I mean, or you could do, you play on the Mr. And Mrs. Smith one where they kind of save each other. It's kind of cool. Yes. I, I, my, or one of my recent scripts, I wrote a meat cute ish in the vein of Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hopefully I did it justice. Yeah. I can't talk about it. I don't even know why I brought it up. <laughs> We'll talk about it when you have some distance. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Hi. So that's meat cutes. Conflict hmm. is the most important thing in meat cutes. I've 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 come to take away. I think that's my big takeaway. Yeah, conflict and maybe also juxtaposition with someone else. I mean, obviously yeah. in your example, there are only two people, but uh, in both of your examples, actually. All right, ignore that one. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Do whatever you want. That's the objective of all meat cutes. <laughs> We're just here for commentary, folks. <laughs> After all that, don't worry. Don't even bother. <laughs> all right. Quote of the day. Yeah. It was a million tiny little things that when you added them all up, they meant we were supposed to be together. And I knew it. I knew it the first time I touched her. It was like coming home. 
only to no home I'd ever known. I was just taking her hand to help her out of a car, and I knew it. It was like magic. Sleepless in Seattle. That's who I'm attributing the quote to. I actually hate that rom-com. Anyways, please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Josh Hallman on Instagram, Joshua Hallman on Twitter. I wonder if we could have a social media me cute. Is that like, a, do you think that exists? Like people are looking at each other, they're, they're, they're like tweets. They're like, oh my God, that's a hundred percent. I'm sure that's happened in movies neither of us have cared to see. Listen, I'm married happily with a child, but I'm not opposed to trying to find this moment just so I could write it in a movie. Maybe you should start a new account and let's just see what happens. Meaning I'm going to start a burner account for Meet Cutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's for research, Nicole. God. Yeah, no. These girls, no. We're just talking about cats and dogs. No big deal. Shit. As always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This, edito- this episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, who will have to do a lot of editing. I'm sorry, Music Paul. by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.